everyone, and welcome to McCann and Kagaka. Take two. screwed over today because of that. And technology. So, I think that we're, we got a little Commander Cast connection there. Thank it's tenuous. You. Tenuous at best. CommanderCast.com Hello everyone, and welcome to CommanderCast, episode 236. We're your weekly source for community, strategy, and technology, hosted on mtgcast.com and our home site, commandercast.com. We're recording this on February 10th, 2016. I am your host of the show, William, and joining me as always is my Pernia co-host, Calvin. How are you doing today, sir? Hey, everybody. It's Calvin. I'm also known as Captain Regiment right here, Nick. If uh, it's not multiple, it's because I currently have chicken in my mouth, so excuse me while I eat. That's fine. I actually had chicken earlier. What kind did you grab today? Nothing special. Just something from one of the little corner chicken shacks around my area. Uh, I actually have canes, and I like canes. They have a really fantastic chicken sauce. It's actually just like a four chicken strip tender type things, but you go for the sauce. So, joining us is Clay, who has been chickenless as far as I know. Uh, I was actually just eating some chicken. Okay. With some rice and some steak, because there's a local Japanese place that takes the uh, university's fake money. So we went out and got some dinner. And they got Mallory's food wrong, unfortunately. <laughs> Um, Sorry about that. So now. yeah, eating uh, Americanized Japanese food and drinking a ramen, it's all fine over here. I mean, it's all good too. Like whenever I had down Tenske down in the lower part of Columbus, I always loved to get the barbecue deal. <laughs> like it's not a high quality barbecue deal, but it's barbecue deal. Although I think Ashley's more of a fan of the curry. Uh, all right. So today we are going to be going into just a myriad of topics. Uh, working on getting a guest for next week. Not sure who we're going to be having to help fill Mark's spot while Mark's uh, taking his personal hiatus. But we do have our usual things, and that is, in fact, favorite commanders of the week. So, Calvin, who's your favorite commander this week? Uh, Ashley. There we go. I'm going with that because I can't think straight at the moment. And play. I must continue to sing the praises of Frenchless Tassiger because Tassiger... Because another week of going completely undefeated and splitting in the finals. I had a funny match because we had like nine or eleven people, I'm not sure which, but we did like four rounds and a cut and a cut to top four. Um and in the semifinal match I was in, I was playing against a Karlov deck, and he was on the play, and so I was jokingly just like, you know, I should probably just make sure I mulligan into my force spike so I can get Karlov the first time you cast him. And so I draw my seven, and I go down to six, and then I see in my hand my force spike just sitting there. And I laughed to myself. <laughs> and so he played his land and passed, and I drew my card, and I was like, well, I don't have an untapped blue source, so we're going to play this blue temple, and we're going to pass the turn. And sure enough, he played another land and cast Karlov, and I was like, well, I can't cast this force spike, but I can cast this force of will. Well, so we still got to counter Karlov on one or on two. 
not with the Force Spike. We got to Force Spike other things later, but Force of Willing a turn two Karlov was definitely worth it. So, how's the one-on-one commander seat in your area? Um, it's not bad. Most of the decks are, like, uh... We use the French dual commander ban list just because it's better for 1v1 and makes a lot more sense. Most of the decks are just converted from multiplayers, like they take out their Sol Rings um, and other fast mana artifacts and put in stuff, you know, like Primeval Titan that you're allowed to play in this format. Um, The first round I played against, I felt a little bit bad because the kid played mostly multiplayer and was playing with Azuri basically out of the box. And yeah... That wasn't much of a match, but anyway, um, it's gained more traction. We're firing more consist- more consistently than we have been in the past few months, and it's always a lot of fun. So, because okay, it's something I'm tr- I'm thinking about getting started in my game shop. Yeah, like if if you have people who like hang out at the store on Fridays and play Commander while F and M is going on, ask them and see if they'd be interested in doing a like French one v one like Swiss tournament for, you know, whatever prize payout you want to do. Because, um, you know, it is, it is a lot more fun. You have to be more aggressive because you are trying to kill one opponent. But it, it changes the dynamic of the game, but keeps the same deck-building restrictions, which is quite awesome. All right. So then my favorite command of the week is still Avacyn, Guardian Angel. I've, I'm probably going to be sticking with her for a while, just because I've been working on the alphabet. I've actually been skipping my regular EDH nights at the game store, to work on some of these videos like I did earlier this week when I recorded. Well, I also did, skipped this week so I could do my taxes, but that's neither here nor there. Avazin's been proving her worth, though. I was recording the Patreon exclusive video, and I actually got to use her, you know, her, I want to say, limit break effect to save another player, which was awesome. And together we almost took down the Azuri player, who was just loading counters on everything and anything. I think we said Azuri was probably one of the worst of the five experienced commanders, but he's still an experienced commander. If you let him sit around, he just makes things ridiculous. Azuri? Yeah. He is not one of the worst. I've gotten a chance to see him. I'd say he's probably tied for Mystics for second best. Right. The worst of the experienced counters has to be Kalemni. Funny fact, I did play against a Kalemni deck. Really? Because Kalemni (laughs) just destroys people. All right. Let's go like this, right? Uh, Azuri. All he cares about is a, a creature with power two or less entering the battlefield, right? Right. So That's for so him, much easier to do. It, it could be a token. You could cast a raise from the dead. You could just cast a two, ma- a, a, a two drop, and you're good. By that point, you've got three experience counters, right? Okay. Now, okay. for um, the, what, what's the black-white one? Um, with the enchantment. Daxos. All right. For Daxos, right, all he cares is that you cast an enchantment, right? So okay. if you've got a deck with a bunch of, like, one mana, two mana, three mana enchantments, by two, turn three or four, you could potentially have, like, three or four experience counters, right? Mm-hmm. Or Mizzix. All you have to do is cast spells. And for each spell you cast, you get counters, as long as the spell isn't bigger than what you were getting. So you can easily work your way up with, like, you know, one counter by casting this, and then cast something else, and next thing you know, your spells are free. Okay. Right? Yeah, I can see what you're saying. But then with, uh, and what was the last one? No, not Kalimni, but the other one, the green-blue one. Not the green-blue one. Uh, Azuri black is one. the green-blue one. Not, there was Azuri, there's Mizzets, there's White Enchantment. Yeah, the one that we're dying. Mar- right. yeah, and, Ma- and with Marin, and Marin is good because everything, all, all she's waiting for is something to die. And with her, as long as she's on the field, you're either A, getting the creature back to your hand, or B, back to the field. 
So, you know, all she needs to do is just be out there while death happens. Okay. Or be causing death in the first place. Right. But with Kalimni, not only do you need to cast a creature, but not, not only did you need to cast something, but it has to be a creature. Can't be an enchantment, can't be a sorcery, it has to be a creature. Okay, fine. And on top of that, it has to cost five mana or more. And her herself costs four mana, which means she could easily show up and you can have an opening hand. It looks like you could get to it, but if you never hit that fifth land, you are never getting an experience counter. I mean, I think the correct way... I mean, don't way... get me wrong, you can still get it, you can still work it, like, but um... she acts more of you than the other ones do. Like, I played against a Kalemni deck on Friday um, at FNM. And it was basically, like, get Kalemni down on turn three using Mana Rocks and just swing. Like, maybe get an equipment on her and go. There, It still had the giant sub-theme, so she could still become bigger with experience counters. But it was definitely built around just getting her on the board and killing you. I mean, she still is which, just a 3-3 double striker. Yeah, which doesn't quite work in... To get to Vigilance. But, yeah, Vigilance double yeah, strike 3-3. Yeah, but that's what I'm saying. You can build a Kalimni deck without having to even think about experience counters. Yeah. But if you're thinking about, like, from the five of them from the experience counter point, Kalimni is oh, yeah. prob- is the hardest one to get a counter from. Hardest one to get a counter wait. from. You kind of have to wait the longest for it. you got to put the most effort into getting to it. Yeah. And then you have to stack your deck with so many five-mana things to get, like, if you want to get, like, ten experience counters off of her, you better have something that either comes from your graveyard back to your hand, or you better have, like, a way to get ten big things into your deck and be able to cast them all in sequence. Yeah. Well, see, that's kind of what I mean, because even though she's hard to get experience counters for, she is just a massive beater who can just kill people. Yeah. It, But from what Calvin is saying, and I agree with, is that from the view of getting and abusing the experience counters, she's probably the weakest one there. Okay, that's fair. I will say, though, that the Azuri deck had a cool Eldrazi mini thing, because it had the um, the enchantment that spit out Eldrazi, then it's got, like, other yeah. Eldrazi that make more Eldrazi, so... Yeah. Alright. So, Alpha Build, currently on Arabian Nights set, that's going to be coming out in a... Let's see, it should be coming out later this week from where you guys hear it. And if it's Monday, that means that if you're on Patreon, you should already be able to see it. I'm put so I'm gonna try and make sure they go up on Friday for five Are you hitting something over there, Will? I'm tapping my table, I'm sorry. I would say like it's like William's over there beating his meat to Patreon. <laughs> <laughs> I mean when people just do just wants stuff. that money, man. So speaking of the Patreon, if you want to if you like what we do here, you want to support what we do. You know, you want to support the Alpha Build, Commander Cast, Rivals Duel, you know, everything that we do on this website, for this website. Go ahead and head over to Patreon. Consider becoming a subscriber. Anyone who's donating $5 a month is going to be able to see the Alpha Build videos that I'm putting out early. Anyone who's donating at least $10 a month is going to see a special bonus video that I'm recording explicitly for the Patreon. Whew, we're not in tip mode anymore, but we do appreciate those tips. Yeah, we are. Give us the tip. Just a tip, ladies and gentlemen. The literature happens to slide in. No complaints. <laughs> so, if you want to get... Oh, jo- Happy so- Valentine's Day. <laughs> 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 Alright, so, if you want to get on the discussion, go ahead, leave a comment in the comments below, or hit us up on the Twitters and the Facebook. We're going to head into our community segment, and, you know, with the announcement of Return to Innistrad, we're going to talk about, you know, some of our first real set experiences. Stay tuned, everyone. We'll be right back.
<laughs> now we go into the next segment where we're going to have more beef to dish out. Mm, where's the beef? Bitch, you know what a beef is. And now we want another ramen. So, for our first segment today, we're going to talk about the first time that we really got to experience a set. And what I mean by that is not necessarily the first time when we started playing Magic, but the first time that we really became aware that Magic was broken up into sets, that there were different worlds and different environments and different flavors of Magic. You know, when I first, I tell people that when I started playing Magic, it was with Innistrad. That's not technically true. I actually started playing about the time the Scars of Mirrodin came out. But to me, it was just Magic. It wasn't Scars of Mirrodin or Mirrodin or Mirrodin Besiege or New Frexion or anything like that. It was just magic. I couldn't tell the difference because I'm a new player and I'm just getting whatever I can get my hands on. I knew that there was definitely, you know, the flavor text and all that. You got, I kind of got an idea of what Mirrodin was and how it was different than Ravnica because I had gotten Ravnica trial decks when I, you know, just walked by them and I, they looked interesting and all that. And then I started messing around with some of my magic. But the first time I really got immersed into a set when I started going online. And reading announcements and spoilers and getting excited for a new set was the first time we went to Innistrad. So to this day, I consider Innistrad kind of my home plane. It's the place that, where I feel most at home with. So with the announcement that, you know, Shadows over Innistrad, we're going to go back to Innistrad this March and April, that was incredibly exciting to me. I hadn't, I haven't been this excited to go back to a place since the Return of Ravnica blog. And only because then, I knew Ravnica through the initial, tr- the original trial decks that I got way back yonder. Hmm. So, Clay, what was the first real set that you experienced? Um, well, I guess I have, I kind of have three, all, right. all kind of clumped together. Um, like when I first started playing Magic, it was between Kamigawa block and original Ravnica block, and at that point, I was, I don't even know where I got my cards. Like, I know I bought, like, one of the 8th edition two-player starter sets that came with, uh, you know, Visserdrix and Enormous Baloth. Um, and I don't know where most of my Kamigawa cards came from, but I had a bunch of Kamigawa cards. Um, but I was aware that there were, like, different sets of cards and such because, you know, I'd played Pokemon beforehand. And back then we had a bunch of different sets. I mean, even at that point, I think we had already been up into the advanced series. So, but, uh, and then I still played with my friends and such through, uh, through Ravnica Block. I have a metric crap ton of bulk, um, guild packed because I remember hanging out at a store when they were cracking boxes of, um, guild packed looking for shop lands when they first came out. Um, and I remember not knowing why they were looking for lands that only produced one mana when there were a bunch of lands at common that produced two <laughs> with the bounce lands. Um, but when I actually started like learning the mechanics of the game and l- learning how like tournament formats worked was Time Spiral Block. Um, in Future Sight, when I started drafting for the first time, and that was when I like really started to understand the game, that kind of kept along until morning tide and then I ran out of money and didn't play until uh Innistrad. So yeah. Well that you guys I, I would say either Ravnica or Dominaria is kind of my home plane. And maybe Kamigawa. One of the three. Take your pick. 
What about you, Calvin? Uh, let's see. When I first started playing Magic, it was because of uh, these commercials that Wizards put out involving – for any older Magic players, there's these commercials. You can find them on YouTube. Just type in Magic Gathering commercials, I guess. And you see, like, this uh, group of people who are, like, in lab coats and experimenting with giant orc and, like, um, raging goblins and all these other stuff and beating up regular <laughs> people. And I thought that was actually pretty cool. So I went out and I bought a box. I bought the little um, two-player starter pack that they had, and one of them had like the um, uh, it was the giant orc and that blue rabbit, Vixadrix. Vixadrix. I think Vixadrix. Right. Vixadrix. And then um, and you know me and my brother, we you know we occasionally would go back to the shop. We'd buy a pack or two here and there, and you know we'd just go ahead and play some magic, and you know we. Crack some portal packs, we pack some onslaught, we open up a whole bunch of other little things, but we never really got into magic. And, you know, at a certain point, I got out of magic, and my brother stayed in it. And I didn't get back into magic until Time Spiral Block. So I would say that my first set that I actually would say is, like, my home set, that I actually started learning about storylines and all this other stuff, would be Larwin Block. Because by the time I came into Time Spiral Block, it was at the very end. Like, plane, like Planar Chaos and Plane Shift and all that other stuff had already happened, and it was at the very end of Time Spiral Block. And I came back in because my brother introduced me to a magic card that was a planeswalker, and he was trying to explain to me how it worked. And, you know, I got back in, and I started playing in Larwin Block, and then from Larwin Block, I've basically been playing magic ever since. Again. So if I had to pick a home plane of a set that I knew of a storyline and had an idea of what the cards were and how they entwined with one another, I would say it was time. So it would um, not time. It was on Lauren Block. All right. So what was it about the the real first set that you guys experienced that really kind of drew you into it? What the first set I experienced? Yeah, like like we're talking about our first set. So if you were to say like Lorwyn, then what was it about Lorwyn that helped bring you into Magic? Well, what kind of brought me back into Magic was the suspend counters from Time Sparrow Block. And then uh, Garrick kind of pulled me all the uh, rest of the way. But then when I got to Lauren Block and I got a chance to, like, actually play with all this extra mana and have these vivid lands, and I got a chance to see all these weird elves and creatures because I started liking elves. And I used to like elves before when I played just casually before I inevitably stepped out the first time. But when I came back, you know, elves were there. And... I was wondering what happened to, like, all the goblins, but there's goblins, too. And I was like, oh, I can build an elf deck. I can build a goblin deck. It's almost as if I didn't even leave. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Clay? Uh, well, I guess um, learning how to draft during Time Spiral Block, um, and mostly just because, like, as uh, as a littler kid, drafting slivers seemed amazing. And I always wanted to draft slivers and never quite got there. But it was still a lot of fun to play. I drafted at FNMs for a couple months and then Lorwyn came out. And Lorwyn, let's see. I'm forgetting, did 10th edition come out before or after Lorwyn? 10th edition would have come out before Lorwyn. Okay. Because Lorwyn went into Shards of Alara. Right. Um, the 10th edition pre release was the first pre release I'd played in. Um, or no, release event. They, one of the last ones that they had, you know, those tournament packs, they called them, that had like a... 75 cards? Yeah, that you used instead of like a sealed pool. I remember them. Uh, as we know them now. I 
remember having like four or five of the release promo Ray of Dawnbringers from 10th edition. Um, and I had a really sweet like mono white weenie life gain deck that used um, eight and a half tails and the pious kitsunes um, and rune tail and stuff. That was a lot of fun. Um, and then when we got into Lorwyn, um, I got Chandra at my release tournament, which was awesome. And just the whole tribal aspect, I think, of Lorwyn is what pulled me in. Um, I would always draft Merfolk with Drowner of Secrets, because the deck was sweet, and I was always one turn short of killing my opponent before they killed me every damn time. Um, and then, back when they still did uh, regional pre-releases, the Morning Tide one was the first one that I went to, at a convention center in downtown Raleigh. It was a lot of fun. With me, I remember reading a lot of the stuff that they had been, you know, Teasing with Innistrad, like, one of the first things they opened with was, oh, it's going to be a tribal-type set with blue-white spirits and blue-black zombies and black-red vampires and green-white humans. And I thought that was the stupidest thing, was that humans was going to be a tribe. Like, it's, I'm, it's a tribe. Like, I, like, I thought that was a miswording or something, because I found this on a forum, and I'm like, but human people are just kind of everywhere, aren't they? Like, humans isn't a tribe. And then more cards come out, and I still thought it was stupid that humans were, were kind of their own tribe, but that's fine, because I had awesome werewolves to play with, and for standard, I tried to play the red-green werewolves deck, and I got wrecked by Ratchet Bomb every time. <laughs> but as I, you know, kind of played more, you know, the Avacyn Restored sets at a lot of the really cool angels that I was really into at the time. I look back at Innistrad, and a lot of what appeals to me now is like the uh, the more spiritual aspect of it. I really liked how they did their ghosts and the spirits and the specters. It's probably my favorite rendition of, of that creature type. In fact, I think the Innistrad Spirit Token is my favorite one of all the Spirit Token arts. Fair. Then, ooh, let's see. So, Werewolves and Ghosts. I think that was the big winner for me. Yeah. So, they're definitely... I don't know if they would actually... Let's see, we're not going back to the Dominaria anytime soon. But if we went back to going to Kamigawa at some point... That would be really funny. Maybe we follow Tamiyo back there? Maybe. I, it's, it's been many thousands of years on Kamigawa since we've been there. It is. Like, I know Watsi has said that they don't want to take the risk of going back to an unpopular plane rather than just revisiting one of their popular ones or making a new one out of whole cloth. Yeah. But... There's so much potential there if you just try and redeem it a bit. Yeah. I mean, that, and I still get kind of that excited, quirky side look whenever I talk about Attack on Kamigawa. <laughs> so I have to explain, no, we're not really going to Kamigawa. This is, it's just what I'm calling the next unannounced set. <laughs> so that was our first set experiences. If you want to go ahead and share your first set experiences, go ahead and share it in the comments below or even on our Facebook page. Next up, we're going to go into our second topic of the night, and we're going to talk about, you know, dirtily strategies and the line it takes for them to go from dirtily into a grind vest. Stay tuned, everyone. We'll be right back. Is that a world record for a community segment? Maybe. Just about. <laughs> but then again, you know, that community segment is kind of weak sauce. Really I wouldn't say it's weak sauce. There just isn't there's a lot too to, much to, more to, to talk about there. Let, 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 let's go mm -hmm. like this. The community segment that we just had, there's no way that we can argue with each other over it. 
Yeah, but it's like, oh, this is the set Williams already in. Nice. Are you ready to the set are you ready to argue yeah. over whether things become grindy? See, that's the thing. Like, if we were arguing over it, something our segments go longer, and you know, we have more input. But it's like, hey, name something you like. I like this, and I like that, and I like this. Okay, good. He's not wrong. Now, what do we do? <laughs> Imagine me sitting there at my computer playing um, Moto, recording videos for the Alpha Build, and this is actually one of the videos that you'll see in the Arabian Nights segment. It's getting a little late. I decide that I have time to record one last vi- video before bed. Proceed to sit there for the next two hours, still playing the same game. What went on? So I ended up recording a two-hour game where one of the players was playing five-color Chromat Super Friends. And this is just kind of a problem I have with almost every Super Friends deck I end up playing against, is that they are incredibly grindy. Now, granted, maybe I'm just jaded by the fact that I played a four-hour game against an Esper Super Friends deck once. His that My, my friend's deck has since gotten better and, and a bit more not grindy. But this seems to be a recurring theme with every single Super Friends deck I play against, in that we're not really playing Magic, we're playing try and keep this person off of their Planeswalkers. Because the Planeswalkers, even though they give incremental advantage, a bunch of them giving incremental advantage every turn turns into a very powerful snowball, snowball effect that inevitably wins the game. So everyone else at the table is trying to keep them off of the Planeswalkers. They're trying to just keep on their Planeswalkers, and nobody's life total is actually moving. Granted, it didn't help that this Chromat player was playing Humility, but it's it's just... uh, Friends don't let friends play Humility. At one point, I was physically slamming my head against the desk, and you can actually catch that moment on the video itself. (laughs) Granted, granted you don't have... Granted, I don't use, like, a face cam like some streamers do, but you can hear me going, doom, doom, doom. (sighs) So, guys... At what point does Dirtily become a grind? Because, you know, I I don't begrudge anyone playing any any real deck that they want to play if their goal is to win. But at the same time, sometimes you play a deck that's so dirtily, it takes forever to win. And it just feels like we're dragging the game on forever. I... Okay. Uh, you go first, Calvin. So, a good idea of what this is for me, in my personal view, right? If you're playing a aggressive deck or a combo deck, then you should be thinking about how long is it going to take you to win, right? Once you get your combo going off, you're winning next turn. Once you get your aggressive deck going off, you're winning as soon as possible, right? Right. Yeah. Then you have your mid-range decks that take a little bit longer, but, you know, you still expect to end the game in a fairly decent time. And you have your control decks that take longer than the mid-range decks. But, you know, it's not to the point where people start getting annoyed and frustrated. Now, once you get past that point, that's when you start entering into Dirtle territory, where it's like, if anybody else was playing in the, and you had a win condition, you could have pulled that trigger 20 minutes ago, and the game would have been over, everyone would have shuffled up, and we'd be ready to go. But you, but because of the way you're playing, it just seems to be like an additional 20, 30, 40 minutes onto this one game that technically should have ended 40 minutes ago. 
And that's when Dirtle territory starts to slowly creep into, okay, I'm just going to pack up and go because you're basically playing solitary. There's nothing I can do. And it's like if you have like an infinite lock on the board and your opponents can't do anything to get out of it, but your deck doesn't have a win condition either. So they're kind of waiting for you to deck yourself so that they can continue with the game without you. I think the worst part is that four-hour game, the only way I won was because he decked himself. <laughs> and you see, at that point, it, yeah, but see, that's the thing. Like, at that point, it gets, the, that's, that's the point right there, where it's like, it had gone way past Dirtle. It's not like he was sitting around spinning his wheels, waiting for his win condition to come up. He was basically just doing stuff, and next thing you know, he just couldn't do anything anymore, and you kind of happenstantly won. Where if his deck had a win condition or a way to take advantage of that particular situation, your game might not have lasted four hours. An EDH game shouldn't last four hours unless it has, like, seven or eight people in it. And even in those situations, there's typically someone playing a combo or some type of deck that's going to end the game immediately, killing everyone else. Clay, what are your thoughts? Um, I think the, uh... The easiest way to describe when Dirtle turns to grind is when the majority of the table groans and stops having fun. Because you can have what appears to be a grindy game on the surface, where everyone is doing their own thing, everyone has like their sort of incremental advantage engines, people are board wiping from time to time, but everyone still has a decent shot at being able to do, to do stuff in the game. Um... But then, like with the Super Friends decks, you get to the point where them winning is inevitable. It's just a matter of when they're going to get there, and it's just like, why do we still grind out this game? Basically, it's the point where people are going to start thinking about uh, packing up and shuffling up and starting a new game. Um, like, I mean, one like, of the, one of the things that... I'm, I'm sorry. Yeah, you, you first. But it's like, the reason I bring this up is because we know people like Mark who they enjoy winning, but the point of their deck is to do just kind of dirtily things. Like, they yeah. want to do dirtily things that are cool. And, like, I can respect that. If you are good, if you want to just kind of do a cool thing that helps you win, sure, because you're still doing anything that helps you win. It's still kind of dirtily, but it's no harm, no foul. We're all just going to go on and keep playing. Yeah. But when you're still trying to win, and then it takes forever. Like, this is just the real grind. This isn't, okay, I'm going to go ahead and do some stuff because it's cool. It's more, I am going to get there inch by inch, and I am going to drag all of you with me. If you try and get ahead, I am going to grab your ankle and drag you inch by inch back. It's like, you know, it's almost kind of like playing sorry, where you're there, you're getting there, you're getting there, and then boom. You get knocked all the way back down the start, so you have to start going again, inch by inch by inch. Yeah. Like, at that point, like, at least for me, it usually happens when it's late in the game, people have exhausted most of their things, most people are just kind of in top deck mode, unless you ha- and you just have, like, one person who clearly, clearly has the advantage, and if they, if the game keeps going as it is, they're just going to win. Um, See, that's we should probably define that too. Is grindy by situation versus grindy by design, and I think that's one of the things that makes that frustrates me about Super Friends decks 
is that yeah. they're grinding by design. It just doesn't win fast. It no, it doesn't. <laughs> like it can win, right. but it's not. It doesn't have the super huge plays that you know we play EDH for. Yeah, it, we'd rather you kill like, us now and not twenty turns from now. Yeah, but like that's one of the things. Where like a, a good way of like kind of t- telling what the mood is when a game has gotten too grindy is at the point where people get up from the table. Okay. If you happen to be sitting with your friends and you're like, oh, man, I'm thirsty. I'm going to go get a drink. I'll be right back. And you, you get up, you run to the bathroom or run it in whatever. You come right back and you sit down. Okay, what did I miss? Then the game hasn't reached that grindy point. But when yeah. it gets to the point where it's like, all right, well, you know what? While he's doing this, I'm going to go get a drink. And they get up and then they go to the bathroom. They check out their phones. They get their drink. You look over and they're talking to somebody else completely outside the game, just having like a good five-minute conversation. You kind of have to let them know the game's still going on. Then they come back and sit down. It's like, all right, I'm back. Now what? At that point, the game has already gone on too long because players are actively no longer interested in seeing what's going on in the actual game itself. Yes. Don't know about the fun, boys. Check the Twitters. (laughs) Right. It's like if you're sitting there and your turn comes around, and you look up, and everybody at the table is, like, going to check Facebook, checking messages, getting ready to see what calls they've missed, then your game has already gone way past the point of where it should have gone. Now, don't get me wrong. There will be the occasion where, you know, you're sitting at a table, and a message comes in. Someone gets up, they have to go take it. That's an emergency, understandable. They'll get to a point where, you know, someone will check their phone just to get an idea what time it is, because, you know, they want to make sure that they're out of here before X time so they can go do whatever afterwards. But if you're looking around and it's like people are literally not interested in the game anymore, then you've gone too far. And don't get me wrong, I understand for some people that's the point that they want to go to. But in order to build the community, it's not something that you would actually want because now these people see that deck and they don't want to play against it anymore. Or they don't want to play with you anymore because that's the only type of deck you play. Or the last time we played, it took four hours for us to get out the game. I've got other things in my life I need to do. I'm only here for maybe two hours of EDH, not two hours of EDH, and then waiting around for another two hours just to see how you're going to finish me off. See, I had something. I had something this, and now I've lost it. Was it boobs? No, no, no. It was you lost what? your boobs? No, I, I haven't even gotten them yet. So let's see. What Unfortunately. You heard it here first, ladies and gentlemen. William is getting boobs. Yeah, I just gotta make sure that they're the right size. If they're like too small, it's not gonna look natural on my body size type. Uh, what? God damn it! I had tune in next week to find out what cup size William will be. Uh, Clay, did you have a thought while I'm trying to, to think of what I lost? Uh, I guess, as with almost everything, it just comes down to playgroup preference. Ah, I got it. Uh, okay. What so, you got? So finish your thought, Clay. Yeah. Um, or like if. Your group enjoys the grind, then it's not, I guess, not really a grind, because I think grind kind of implicates that no one is having fun, that no one is enjoying playing the game. Um, Like, if a control deck completely shuts down the board and no one has a chance of doing anything, and there's actually no reason for them to keep playing, that's the bad kind of grind. The good kind of grind are when dirtles go super hard and everyone is enjoying it. Like, you have several value or attrition decks, like, going at it, trying to grind out an advantage, but no one person is, like, clearly going to win. 
And right. that all depends on who you're playing with and what kind of decks you're playing with. Yeah, like, the Marin deck is is a lot like that. I tell people all the time who are looking at the Commander Precons in our store, if you like the kind of grindy value engines, you go for Marin. And that deck can be fun. That can deck, It really can be. Yeah. Right. Now, I remember from an earlier episode, maybe it was Mar- Mark who actually brought this up, but Andy said, once said that turning dudes sideways helps cut down on the turtle. You know, just moving life totals, keeping the game going forward, is going to cut down on the Durls, and it's going to stop the grindiness of those games. But here's the problem. When you are dealing with a deck like the Super Friends deck, where your goal is to keep them off of their Planeswalkers, because if you ignore the Planeswalkers and try and go for them, then suddenly they're accumulating advantages and ways to contain your threats that you can't break through anymore. You have to kill the Planeswalkers before they get going. So you're killing off the Planeswalkers, but you're not moving life totals. You're not moving life totals, so you're not moving the game forward. You're not moving the game forward, ergo, you're not playing Magic anymore. I can agree with that. Especially when they've got Humility out. Right. And one one of the other things about that becomes that um that becomes a major issue is like all right, it's one thing where if there's the board has gotten to the point where it's just oversaturated and no one can do anything anymore. Like, say, for instance, like, you're at a table, and yes, Clay has a field full of creatures, and William has a field full of creatures, and I have a field full of creatures. But at this particular juncture, there is no profitable way for any of us to attack anyone else without us accidentally or intentionally getting ourselves knocked out the game. If I attack William and don't succeed in killing him, I just leave myself open, Clay comes gets me, and vice versa for everybody else at the table, you know? So yeah. at that point, like, yes, the the game does hit a dirtily stage until, like, a raft shows up or until a bigger creature or an overrun or something that can get you out of that dirtle phase moves the game forward. Here's the reason why we have certain, current, certain cards like those in the game, just to kind of get past the dirtle. It's the reason why we have creatures that have flying and creatures that have all other types of evasion to get past the dirtle. But if you look at the board and... It's just saturated with a whole bunch of enchantments and planeswalkers and other things that you just can't, for one reason or another, get around because your deck isn't designed to deal out, deal with enchantments or you can't really get rid of this many enchantments. Then, yes, at that point, it starts going from dirtle to just being a grind. And a grind can be fun as long as you realize that you could potentially still win. But at a certain point, you come to the realization, like, can I win? Yes. Was it worth it? Probably not. It de- it depends on... I guess it really just depends on how likely it is that you'll win, and if you pull it off, how amazing that will feel, and how much of an advantage other people have. But that is something completely other than just the grind. Yeah, because see, when, you're, when your game it comes to a standstill because everyone has a full board of stuff, then it's kind of exciting because there's a tension in there where it's kind of like the... The cold you know, all it takes or, is one card to crack this open, and the next thing you know, the table will just be covered in bodies. Exactly. Like, it's, the good old, it's a good old-fashioned Mexican standoff, like on Ron Burgundy. But when it gets to the point where everyone's struggling to try and maintain a presence, or everyone's just desperately trying to kind of hold on, but everything keeps getting answered, or anything like that, or you, you get into everyone's in top-deck mode because there's nothing on the board, that's the part where... where the grind is frustrating for me. Oh. So, do you guys have anything else you want to try to kind of point out between grindy and dirty? 
Because generally, uh, I'm still fine. Don't grind too hard. When you grind too hard, people get hurt. Or people want to hurt you. People get hurt. Uh, you don't want to try to explain that when you go to the ER. To be fair, <laughs> you know, that, when I think about it, isn't, isn't that kind of the same problem with, like, the Alora decks? Is that they just get so grindy? Like, you can keep swinging at them to try and tip out their life total, but they just keep getting it back. So it's like you've made zero progress. But the difference is, is that with the Oloro deck, you can still take it out with the commander damage. You can, unless your commander isn't built for command damage. In which case, you're, you're trying to... Yeah, that's still a grind fest, because if I'm trying to get to 21 with, like, Derevi, then we're going to be here for a while. Mm-hmm. And there's no way a zombie's going to get there on command damage. <laughs> I mean, it could be a zombie Voltron. You don't know. If it could get there. If it's my deck, it's not going to be a zombie Voltron. Now, I could flip her over with Ixodron and then try and get there, but we're still going to be here for a while. <laughs> Although, that does sound like a... No, no, that that's that's way too grindy for me. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, I think that does it for our strategy segment. Uh, go ahead and let us know in the comments, what's the line between dirtily and grindy for you? Is it just, hey, I'm going to mess around with a bunch of 1-1 counters and not actually win the game, but you guys are fine that you just go ahead and do anything you want? Cough, cough, Dagatar, cough, cough. <laughs> or, <laughs> or is it the, okay, this is a grind fest because I'm wiping the board when things get too big or you know, kind of out of control, and then I'm just kind of getting there turn by turn by turn. I mean, granted, I guess I could kind of see my Dagatar deck being like that, but I don't really see it as grindy, per se. It's just kind see, of... at that point, that's when my Getter Lion comes in. Oh, boy. Not not the Lion. Oh, yeah. Alright. Oh, oh, you thought you had a board? You thought you had creatures? Well, take this. Wrath <laughs> everything. Again. Eighth time. So, actually, Mag- I, let's see. I need to... Next time we see Mark, we need to ask him about that Magetta the Lion Vietnamair deck. Okay, so, next up, we're going to go into our technology segment, and we're going to talk about lands that aren't really lands. Stay tuned, everyone. We'll be right back. Woo! So, who would you guys like to see as a guest next week? These Nuts. Anyone. Uh, Actually, could we get These Nuts? Could we hunt down who These Nuts actually is? The The guy who was written in on on the original primary ballots? I would not be able to find these nuts, but I could find L nuts. L nuts on Twitter. Get the nuts. So playing with lands that aren't lands, you essentially have to dedicate spell slots to them. You can't count them towards your land counts because they're not actually producing mana. So we're going to go ahead and talk about some of the ones that are actually pretty interesting and or powerful. And the first one I want to go ahead and talk about is one that I got plenty of use with the Arabian Nights editions of the Alphabet videos. It's Bazaar of Baghdad, which is just a land that, you know, sees, I don't, I don't know, a little bit of fringe vintage play, right? So, Bazaar Baghdad has one ability. It's tap, draw two cards, discard three cards. And so you're thinking, but you're discarding three cards, you're only drawing two, you're actually kind of losing some hand advantage there, are you? Well, you're also drawing a card each turn. So, essentially, you're drawing three cards a turn, and then you're getting rid of the three worst ones. 
or in some scenarios, getting rid of the best three ones so that you can cheat them into play later. It's actually one that I was putting, it's one I put into the Avacyn deck, because, you know, Mono White just needs draw. And the fact that I was playing Circles of Protection, you know, Conversion, Karma, stuff like that that are just dead draws sometimes, means that I'm going to have stuff that I can discard and not feel bad about it. I'm not going to worry about losing Protection of Circle Red if no one is actually playing red. Or if the only red deck happens to be a Bosch the Iron Golem, which that the circle wasn't going to help me there either. Right. Uh, really liked it with the Howling Mind too, though. And yet, I went through half my deck that game against the Super Friends, and I still didn't see a single disenchant. Uh, William is really upset about Super Friends tonight, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> it took two hours of my life away! Uh... So, what's your card, Calvin? What card would you like to talk about? Alright, so the first card I'm going to talk about of a land that's not actually a land is Arena. Arena is basically a land. It enters the battlefield, doesn't tap for mana, but it has an activated ability on it that if you pay three mana and tap it, tap target creature you control and target creature of an opponent's choice, he or she controls. And those creatures fight each other. Now, this has been one of my favorite lands to put into most decks because it's nice to have what's basically a potential removal spell on my land slot. I can just go ahead and use it. As long as I have the bigger creature, I can always force it to kill somebody else's other creature, especially if I can, like, you know, get their creatures down low enough. And sometimes, you know, you have a player who only has, like, a utility creature that they're tapping down for one reason or another. But if you can kill off the remainder of the creatures and that's the only one left and it's the only one you get to choose, Oh, yeah, this grizzly bear that you, like, not grizzly bear. Yeah, this, uh, I need a creature. I need a creature. Uh, fuck. Well, fuck it. This giant creature that I have is now about to go ahead and go over there and slap all up on your guild mage. Because he hasn't been attacking. I didn't, I've never had a chance to block him. He's not blocking anything when I do swing. But now you have nothing else, I'm taking him out. Alright, so Clay, what was the card that you had? Okay, I am going to start off by talking about a very ridiculous card that is often called the worst rare in Magic, and is probably one of the worst cards in Magic. So Sorrow's Path is a land from the dark that says, tap. Choose two target blocking creatures and opponent controls. If each of those creatures could block all creatures the other is blocking, remove both of them from combat. Each one then blocks all creatures the other was blocking. So basically, if I'm attacking William with two goblin tokens, and he blocks with a soldier token and an elemental token, and I'm like, well, the one that he blocked... Or, this is actually a better, better analogy. Let's say I have my worm coil engine tokens. So one has lifelink, the other has death touch. And he blocks with two of his creatures, but then I think to myself, I'd rather uh, kill the one that's blocking the one with lifelink. So I activate Sorrow's Path, remove both of his blockers from combat, and then switch the ones, switch whatever they're blocking. So, yeah, that's cool. It's a really niche ability. But it also says, whenever Sorrow's Path becomes tapped, it deals two damage to you and each creature you control. So being able to switch people's blockers come at a price, and it's just dreadful. So a long time ago, like I think like a year and a half at this point, um, I wrote the one article I ever wrote for CommanderCast.com, and it was building a deck around this 
fantastically bad card. Um, so what I ended up doing for that deck was essentially I needed to, if I was in a four-player pod, make three copies of Stuffy Doll, give one of them lifelink, and then infinitely tap and untap Sar's Path to keep damaging them to kill my opponents. And then I have lifelink on one of the Stuffy Dolls so that it doesn't kill me. Or I, like, stick a pariah on one of them. That's how bad the deck was. That's what I could come up with for this card. But if you have a whip of Erebos, they all gain your life. True. Oh, whip. Oh, there it goes. Except I was, I was in Bant colors, so I couldn't. That's oh, okay. We just go four colors. I smash in some Nephilim. Fair. And, ooh, it made MTG Masters Edition 3, so I can play this. Yes, it did. Yes, you can. And I have no clue why you would ever want to. I don't know. Um, I'm I, trying, oh. there, there's a legendary creature that basically does the same thing, and I forget its name. It's yeah. one of the old mono white ones. I'm gonna look that up. Yeah, you, you don't want to play Sorrow's Path in your tokens deck, though, ladies and gentlemen. Just making sure you know that, because you will wipe your board. <laughs> Unless you want to deal damage. Unless you course. want to wipe your board. But then, like, you know. but then you run into the problem of the fact that there needs to be two blocking creatures to activate it. Um, so what I ended up needing to do was have Chromatic Lantern or Prismatic Omen to give it a mana ability. Because the whenever it becomes tapped, it deals damage is a separate ability from its first one. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, you give it a mana ability and it does things. Uh, General Yarkeld does the same sort of thing, but it's less awkward. He's a, uh, uh, a legendary from Ice Age. What about uh, Tomb of Yogmoth, the one that turns all lands into swamps? That helps too, right? Yep. Yeah. All right. So let's go on to the next one. And the one that I want to go ahead and mention is, you know, one that I haven't gotten to yet in terms of sets for the alpha build, but they're also weren't made on Moto, so I'm not going to get just to play with them but it's the band, the band's lands. Boof. So, when Legends came out... Band land. When Legends came out, there was a cycle of lands that gave all Legends of a certain color banding. In fact, I'm going to bring one up. I think it's... It bands with other Legends. Yeah. But, like, uh, let me take a look at Cathedral Sarah real quick. All of your white legends gain bands with other legends. So, that was Cathedral Sarah. And I'm gonna read the real technical oracle text of this. Any legendary creatures can attack in a band, as long as at least one... That's the reminder text, not the oracle text. It's reminder text in the oracle text. True. Has... Okay, so any legendary creatures can attack in a band, as long as at least one band has bands with other legendary creatures. Bands are blocked as a group. If at least two legendary creatures you control, one of which has bands with other legendary creatures, are blocking or being blocked by the same creature, you divide that creature's combat damage, not its controller, among any of the creatures is blocked or by or is blocking. Yeah, that's not confusing at all. But for layman's terms, because I'm sure there are people that you know just look at banning and they it puts the fear of God in them as far as trying to figure it out with the rules. It's actually incredibly easy. You take all your creatures that you're banning together. Which in this instance, with the Cathedral Sarah, means any of your legendary creatures and ones with bands with other legendary creatures. Which, all of your white legends gain bands with other legends. So, in a mono-white deck, all your mono-white legends just get, they get, they're gonna band together. You attack them, and they all kind of act like this big conglomerate mob, you know? Like, Avacyn and Bremas are attacking, and if either one of them are blocked, they're gonna be blocked as a team. You know, they had their own little two-headed thing going on. But here's the thing. What, because they're a part of a band, you're the one who's assigning the damage, not them. 
So one of the cool tricks with Avacyn and Banding is, okay, let's go ahead and assign all the damage to just one creature that isn't an Avacyn, and then Avacyn can use her effect to prevent all the damage of a color that would be dealt to Bremass. And that's basically all it is. It's a way for Avacyn to block and get involved in combat. As long as she has one of her buddies with Banding with her, then she can go ahead and save herself, too. It's really cool. And it's one of the reasons why I'm super excited for cards like Helm of Chatzik to go into my IRL Avacyn deck. <laughs> and with Cathedral Zero, it doesn't tap for any mana, but it's kind of like a super enchantment. Because unless they're playing a strip mine or an acidic slime or anything like that, and they specifically go for your lands, they can't get rid of it. Is it bad that when William says Avacyn this entire time, I just kept thinking of the indestructible one? Same. I, I was I like, oh, yeah, that, that's I was like, I'm, I'm, sitting, I'm sitting like, oh, yeah, she's great in there because you could just assign all her damage to her, and it doesn't matter because she's indestructible. No, he's going with the other one. I was like, oh, you just made this idea so much worse. But with Avacyn, you know, <laughs> everything's indestructible anyway. Right. But damn it, William. At that point, it's like, with her, banding doesn't matter because you can block whatever the fuck you want. But with the small Avacyn, the Guardian, but with Guardian Angel... You gotta work hard for it. Dude, you don't have to work that hard. You gotta jump through loops that don't need to be jumped. The only hoop you need to jump is to just pay two mana. Uh, And it's awesome. You get a free block for, you know, what's kind of less on an initial investment and also just has has a threat of activation. (laughs) I still like Guardian Angel. So, Calvin, what's your next card? Alright, so my next card is going to be the Maze of If. The Maze of If is a land, because that's what we're talking about. Lands. And this land shows up. No, it doesn't tap for mana, but it has an ability where you can tap it, and if you do, you untap target attacking creature. Prevent all combat damage that would be dealt to and by that creature this turn. So, basically what Maze is, creature runs in, you activate the maze. After you activate the maze, they get lost in the maze. And then they come out the other end of the maze, and they don't fight nobody. And they didn't hurt nobody because they were too busy fiddling around in a labyrinth. So, here's the thing about Maze of Myth. It was being played by the Super Friends deck. So not only are we trying to swing at the Planeswalkers and keep them off Planeswalkers, he's also negating one of the attackers every turn, on top of them being humiliated. Yes, the Raging Ravine gets over the humiliation, because Raging Ravine don't give a fuck, but when Maze of Ith is out there, it makes it that much harder to deal with. (laughs) Whoops. It is a very pretty From the Vault foil, actually. The only From the Vault I got was the From the was the from the Vault Realms. And the Maze of it is actually really pretty. I love the... Let's see, is that lightning? Yeah, it's lightning. The lightning out in the background. Not sure why there would be lightning, but there is. Ooh, maybe it's a brainstorm. Actually, you look at the, the, the dark version. What the actual hell? <laughs> it's it's a dude. Like, He's chained up in this membrane thing. Is it? Like, it just looks yeah. like a membrane thing. Like, if you if you look in there... It looks like there's a dude in there. I kind of see where you can see where his head and his arms and his legs are. I can kind of see it, but it then doesn't that make it more of a digestive track? I I don't understand what's going on. The high arcanist does not need your uh, dissension. I don't understand. So what do you have for us, Clay? Um, let's see. Another silly one is a safe haven. 
Um, this is another cute card from, hey, The Dark. Um, it was also reprinted in Time Spiral, so it is modern legal. But it's an interesting little land where you can pay to and tap it to exile target creature you control. So we're going to hide our creature's wings. And then at the beginning of your upkeep, you can sacrifice Safe Haven. If you do, return each card exiled with it to the battlefield under your control, or under its owner's control. So basically what we get to do is... If someone's about to, you know, like, have to exile one of our big dudes, we get to pay two mana and keep it safe for a while. And then if we get to sacrifice Safe Haven using its trigger, we get that card back. So if, you're, if your uh, playgroup isn't playing that many, uh, you know, land destruction spells where you'd be able to protect this thing, you can use it as a way to recur some of your entry triggers to save a big creature that's about to get killed. Um, combine it with, say, Crucible of Worlds to be able to constantly bring it back, constantly blink one of your things. It's an interesting little utility card. Okay, so I think we've got time for one more round of this. And let's see, which one do I want to go ahead and grab? I think I actually wanted to grab the Diamond Valley, actually. So one of the great things about Moto is that a lot of cards that, you know, are super expensive, super hard to get, super not viable for most commander decks in the real are actually just dirt cheap. Like, actually cheaper than the dirt itself, than clean dirt online. Diamond Valley and Bizarre Baghdad are just super expensive because they're from the original Arabian Nights set, which didn't see that big of a printing because they didn't have the printing technology back then. So, if you want to get a Diamond Valley, it's going to be like 161 TCG mid. On Moto, I got it for less than a dollar. So, the Diamond Valley is a tap sack a creature, you gain life equal to the sacrifice creature's toughness. You know, this used to be fantastic because you could avoid the tucking with it. You know, it's one of those things where you can keep it open, you can sack your commander, put it, send it back to the command zone if someone tried to chaos warp it, or fate seal, or anything like that, and you would get a small life total as a bonus. Now, it's actually just a good sack outlet. If I had one in my Carador deck, I would not be, I would not have worried or spent 15 minutes trying to figure out how to win when I dropped literally my entire deck onto the field with the uh, Rise of the Dark Realms and avoid dying to my own bol- uh, Disciple Bolas trigger. Mm. So, Calvin, did you have a third one for us? Calvin died. I'll take that as a no. Clay, did you have one more? Uh, I didn't die. I'm talking to my uh, sister-in-law. Hello? Yep, we're here. Yeah. All right, now, what was the question? The question is, did you have a third land that you wanted to talk about since we're doing one last round? Uh, okay, one last round real quick. The land I'm going to talk about is Oasis. It's a land. It shows up. Does it tap a mana? No, because we're talking about lands that don't tap a mana. Duh. But what Oasis does, it has this ability where you can tap it and you can prevent one damage that would be dealt to target creature this turn. Now, this card is only preventing one damage. Yes, it's not really saving the world. It's not helping anybody else. But on the other spectrum, it's one target creature. So you don't have to target your own guy. You can save your guy. But it can be used in, like, say, a group huggish kind of way or politically. Someone's going at someone with a 7-7 and you have a, and you see him doing another 7-7. You need to get a favor? Tap the land. Prevent it. And, you know, he keeps his 7-7 and you might actually be able to get a friend to hold on to for a few minutes. All right. And now I'm going to mute so I can go finish talking to my sister-in-law. I'll be right back. Alright, Clay. You got some, right. you got some choice ones. Like, you can have Ivugan, or Dark Deaths, or Glacial Chasm. We're, we're gonna go back to Ice Age really quick for yet another ridiculous card. 
But like Save Haven, this one might actually be a little bit more useful than, uh, you know, Sorrow's Path. So, um, Halls of Mist is a land from Ice Age. Cumulative upkeep one. We have a land that requires an upkeep cost. And it gets incrementally bigger because it's cumulative. But we, it can't even tap the pay for itself. Nope, unless you have, say, Urborg or Prismatic Omen or Chromatic Lantern. Then, then it's possible. But, um, thankfully Halls of Mist does not just sit there costing you mana every turn. What it does do, though, is it says that no creature can attack if it attacked during its controller's last turn. Which the Oracle text now creatures that attack during their controller's last turn can't attack. So let's say you're playing against a Voltron deck, someone's playing Rafik. And they attack you with their Rafik, and you block the Rafik. And then you play your Halls of Mist on your turn, and you pass to them, and they can't get rid of the Halls of Mist before they go to combat, and so Rafik can't actually attack this turn. It's cute. It basically, it is not nearly as potent as, say, Maze of Ith, or Core Haven, or anything that can just stop the damage. But it can potentially, you know... They can basically fog for a turn if someone's playing a big go-wide strategy, um, and even for multiple turns. And if you have, say, a Crucible of Worlds, as is really wonderful, you can just ignore paying the upkeep cost, attack with your creatures that attacked on the last turn, and then during your second main phase, play Halls of Mist again. Yeah. And see, card. see, I was already playing Glacial Chasm in my corridor deck because I had kind of that lands-ish sub-theme, like that, the uh, Titania package. Mm. But the Halls of Mist is also a viable option, so you can just keep swapping them back and forth, maybe, yeah. depending on the situation. Like Another honorable th- mention at this point would be Glacial Chasm. Yes. Uh, Glacial Chasm is a long-time hilarious card that also has cumulative upkeep, as it is also from Ice Age. It's a land with cumulative upkeep pay to life. So on the first turn after you pay, you put one counter on it and pay two life. The next turn you put two ca- put another counter on it and pay four, and then six, and then eight, etc. Um, but of course, because it's a cumulative upkeep cost, if you choose not to pay, you just sacrifice it. Uh, when Glacial Chasm enters the battlefield, sacrifice a land. So you have to eat one of your existing lands to be able to play it. Creatures you control can't attack, presumably because they can't actually get over the giant fucking chasm in the middle of the battlefield now. But it flies. Which, which doesn't make sense with flying creatures, but we're just going to ignore that for now, because that's kind of the balancing point of this card. Glacial Chasm also says, prevent all damage that would be dealt to you. So, yeah, people are trying to Voltron you out, or trying to kill you with weenies or crater hoof, and you're just like, well, here's a Glacial Chasm. It can also stop any damage. It's a really important thing to do. So if you have, like, the Molten Psyche player in your meta, it does stop them. Like, uh, just go, in response to your Molten Psyche, tap my Walking Atlas, put Glacial Chasm in play. Um, the, the funny thing to note is that only you can't attack. So, your creatures can't cross the chasm, but theirs can. But, um, the, I think the best way to play Gotcha with this card, it also works pretty well with Maze of Ith, is if you hold up mana for crop rotation or you have a Knight of the Reliquary, someone attacks you and you play your crop rotation or um, cast your, or activate your knight, and you go find this thing and just be like, well, no damage. Ha ha. It's a great one-time fog, because then you just sacrifice it on your turn if you need to. It's just uh, some extra utility. Yeah, it does. And again, I like playing it in, like, the Carador deck because of the Titanium sub-package. Yeah. 
Alright, so that about does it for our technology. Next up, it's time for us to take things to our outro. Ooh, and I'm going to see Deadpool on Friday. Ooh, have fun. I plan to. Did you hear that, that Reynolds actually just walked off stage with the costume when they were done filming? I wouldn't be surprised. He said something like he was waiting 10, 12, 13 years for the movie to be made. So when it came <laughs> to time to wrap things up, he just wiped, walked off with the costume. They I wouldn't call, be surprised. Someone, someone asked him if, uh, if he didn't want to take off the costume. He was like, nope, just kept walking. <laughs> The marketing for that movie's been brilliant. Oh, yeah. Like, oh, dear God, there was a GIF set of Deadpool doing an interview. He's talking about this perfect Jimmy Connors. I want to see if I can find that real quick. Let's see. Maybe I actually just look up Deadpool. Deadpool movie. Three million like it. Uh, no, but it was on one of the stupid fan pages I follow. Uh. So let's see. Let's find that quick. Let's see. We got some Nico Knees. One Punch Man's. Magical Girls. Hillary and Bernie. Magical girls. Hillary and Bernie memes. Woo! Yuri pages. Are they dank? They are dank. Apparently, Bernie just agrees with everything I love. Who would have thought? <laughs> so, this has been Command Guest episode 236. I want to go ahead and thank both Yoga for showing up today. Calvin, thanks for being here. Uh, no problem. Uh, stepped out for a few moments there, but it's okay, because I've had something very important I need to be tended to on the side here. But I'm back. Shut the fuck up, Navi. <laughs> <laughs> Can't go a single episode without that happening. Clay, thanks for being here. Yeah, no problem. It's always fun. All right, so at this point, we're going to go hand out, and contact information is a go. Calvin, if people want to reach you, how can they do that? Wait, he actually well, want to reach this me? time? Yeah, I remember this time. I've been practicing. Oh, uh, William remembered this time. Yeah, he remembered to tell us this time. Yeah, you know, two weeks in a row. Hopefully, you know, we can keep the streak going. But if you guys out there in the internets and the interwebs want to locate the captain of the Red Zone, it's real simple to do. All you got to do is go over to Twitter and hit me up, at Captain Red Zone. Or you can go over to, over to the emails and hit me up in a Gmail at CaptainRedZone at gmail.com. Or you can go over to the CommanderCast Facebook page. I'm over there as an admin. Will's over there as an admin. Clay is over there as an admin. And the Waffle Cone is over there as well. So, Clay, if people want to reach you, how can they do that? Uh, people can find me around the internet on Reddit and Twitter and Gmail as EDHPanda. Uh, my girlfriend and I occasionally stream on Twitch as Pandalpaca. You can follow us on Twitter for updates when we go live. And it's down there in the show notes if you need the spelling. Any plans to stream Bayonetta soon? Um... If my capture device was uh, compatible with OBS, I definitely would. But due to an oversight of research on my part, it is not. Ouch. Yeah. That sucks. All right, then. So if you want to get in touch with me, I am W-I-E Hernandez at gmail.com. You can also follow me on the Twitter. I am at BlueRam1409. If you want to follow the Commander Cast proper, Kevin's already given you the Facebook page. And we are, in fact, at Commander Cast. But if you don't want to do that, you can go ahead and leave us a review on the iTunes, which I'm actually going to pull up this time. Double check. Make sure I didn't miss any. Why don't you just pull that up at, like, the beginning of the episodes? You always wait till we get to this point to pull it up. Because I never remember until I see it in the show notes. I'm like, oh, that's right, I've got to pull this up. (sighs) 
it's now kind of go to the iTunes store where you can get Commander Cast from the NTG Cast Network. Search up Commander Cast. Let your iTunes load up like you do. Hey, we're also available on Stitcher. Yeah, we're over on Stitcher. For you Android listeners out there, you can hear hit us up on Stitcher. For you Apple device users, you can find us on iTunes by going through the MTG Cast feed. Now, granted, last week's episode went up a little late because Calvin made a few mistakes here. I put up the wrong episode. I thought I made the edits and the corrections, but it's all up and taken care of now. So you can go ahead and listen to it now. Aha! And it's a good thing I did check because we do have another five-star review. I Whoa! This one, Whoa! This one's from Jacob. It says, great show. You guys are cool. Keep up all the good work. Boobs. Boobs. <laughs> That's literally what it says. Sweet. It says boobs. <laughs> we did it, Calvin. Yeah. Okay, so if you guys don't want to leave five-star reviews or comments or anything like that, then at the very least consider becoming a Patreon supporter. We do appreciate all the And giving us the tip, and just a tip, ladies and gentlemen, one dollar. That's all you need to do. Slip that bad boy in there. But he said, like I said, yeah. right now we are offering incentives. Everyone who donates at least $5 will get to see the Alpha Build videos up. I'm aiming for a week ahead of everyone else. If uh, Monday before upload at the latest, everyone who donates at least $10 is going to get a bonus episode exclusive to the Patreon. Big thanks to everyone who works here at the Commander Cast Network. Uh, right now, we're going through just a bit of a yearly slump. It's that time of the year. We just got off holidays. Everyone's kind of getting back, but the real world just doesn't want us things to happen. We're finally getting snow here in Columbus, and it has, it's not been pleasant. Music for our show is the XV Tech of the Metal Series by 331 E-Rock. We'll see you next week with more community, strategy, and technology. Until then, let's Bitch. get it! The both of you. I can't. I don't know what to do with either of you now. Just so you need you to need do now, anything. What would you need to do now is find a fourth person so this way you can have someone who can try not to say boobs when you're talking. Oh, I'm doing it. Believe me, I am doing it. I'm pointing the little black book out, and I am sending out emails. Racist bastard. How is that even remotely racist? Talking about your little black book. Yeah. Whatever happened to what? What? Oh, so what? What? So what? The white book is big or something like that? Are you trying to say the black books are all little? No, I'm saying that's the only one that's in my pocket. Oh, 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 so now the black book just goes in your pocket. But I bet you wouldn't do that to the white book. <laughs> it's got white Yellow pages. page is my ass. Shut the fuck up, Navi. What? I didn't even no hear my phone. No one cares about you, Navi. I didn't even hear my phone go off that time. I'm just saying, period. I can't stand that bitch. Well, what'd you got against the fairy?
She's just trying to help. Telling me to listen. You listen to this. Hey, my phone doesn't work. Out of my business. Alright. Alright, everybody. So it's time for our second install in deck checks. Or what is this? What are we doing here? Oh, uh, listener sent us the, uh, two different decks and we're going over them. And we did one last week. And if you didn't get a chance to hear it, go back, listen to last week, end up in a dangly bits right where this one is. And this week we're going on to the second one, which is the Mirren of Clan Neltoff deck that he's built with. Now, for any listeners out there that don't know, uh, Marin of Clan Notoff is one of the recent experienced counter commanders. We talked about her a little bit earlier, but it's two colorless, black and a green, human shaman, three, four. And whenever another creature you control dies, you get an experience counter. And at the beginning of your end step, choose target creature from your graveyard. If that creature's converted mana cost is less than or equal to the number of experience counters you have, you return it to the battlefield. Otherwise, put it in your hand. Which means, even if you pick something bigger than what you currently have, you still get it back. You just have to cast it again. Alright, so, going into this, you know, Tata has this cool thing where you can kind of denote cards that you have in foil. And it looks like that AJ's been in the process of, you know, either foiling out this deck or cast just kind of incidental foils of it. But there are, there's a lot of cool stuff going on here. To start off, it looks like he's going with a token theme, which I approve of. He's got a lot of the enters the battlefield makes tokens type effects like Avengers Zendikar, Brood Monitor. I think I even saw a Mer Battle Sphere in here. Yeah, Mirror Battle Sphere is in there. Yeah. Uh, the Blood Spore Brine Axis is still in there. There's a Brood Monitor, one of the newer Phyrexian ones. It's the green one that uh, enters the battlefield and gives you the three one ones. It's like the green version of um, Siege Gang Commander. Yeah, that's it. But the part about the deck that I find most interesting is that he still has, like, the Butcher of Malakir, and he has Grave Pats in there, and the Dictator of Erebos. So, not only is his creature just going to be dying, but whenever something does die, you end up getting punished for it even worse. Right. And then he has Awakening Zone and a couple of Eldrazi tokens. So, while granted, the Eldrazi tokens won't be coming back, he could still use them as a way to sack them off for the mana cost and put those extra experience counters where needed, and then just get more tokens later. Yeah, the tokens really seem like a means to an end in terms of, you know, fueling a bit of a Staxi advantage engine. But at the same time, they're also the win condition, because he's got cards like Overwhelming Stampede in here. Yeah, you know, he also has Avenger of Zendikar in there, too. So, like, don't get me wrong, I'm pretty sure the deck could win just on its token-based strategy alone. But in the same token, it also is a nice way of just getting all those experience counters back so that when other stuff that aren't tokens die, he can just keep bringing them back. And uh, an addition in this deck that I saw early on that I think would be, was an amazing addition just to begin with was they put the, uh, uh, put Gary, the great merchant of, uh, Aspen or whatever it is. Yeah, great merchant of Aspen. Yeah, or whatever. They put Gary in there, and I was like, you know what? That's great. You know why? Because now Gary, once you get to five experience counters, can just keep dying and coming back, and that's a win condition for you. You just have to wait to the end of your turn and just slowly kill everybody. Oh, yeah. Viserysir is one of the most powerful enablers in the deck. Just a free sack outlet, scry one. It's, it's such a powerful utility card, and the fact that you can just recycle the Great Merchant over and over again. Like, forget the fact that Koga shows in here. Grey Merchant is where it's at if you get the board state right. Right. And also, like, the fact that he has the uh, Liliana, the heretic healer in there. 
because of all the creatures that's in his deck and all the ways he's going to have things dying, she is going to end up inevitably flipping into her planeswalker. So yeah, and like that's the thing with Marin too is that if she just regrows any creatures that you don't have experience to just reanimate, so Liliana's downside basically just means that you're fixing your hands. Right, and then when she does, and if the planeswalker version of her ever does die, it still goes to the graveyard as a creature, which means then Marin can just bring it right back. But no, yeah, that's exactly in right. Which, in which case, something else will then die, and she'll be right back into her planeswalker state, and you'll be getting a two-two zombie. Yep, you would almost want. Uh, you can. You have the option of playing uh, Nissa too, if you wanted that. That way, you just keep hitting your land drops. Yeah, actually, Nissa would would be really nice in here. See, I think Nissa only grabs basic force, though, and he's only running six of them. Yeah, yeah, but still, like he could. If you look at it, let's see here. The enter is the mana base. Yeah, he doesn't really. He's, if you look at his um on on the side, the amount of green creatures versus black aren't that really green spells aren't really that high. It's predominantly like a mono black. It's predominantly a black deck with like just a with enough green in it to be considered um, Golgari. Yeah. Is there anything else specific in this deck you want to go over? Uh, not a whole lot. It looks like a actually this. Ooh, I haven't seen this card before. Mind Slash. What's it do? Three mana. Black enchantment. Pay a black second creature. Look at target opponent's hand and choose a card from it. That player discards that card. Play this ability only if you can play a sorcery. Wow. Yep. Not only do you have a sack outlet, you have a discard outlet, and it's an enchantment, so you get to continuously use it. Yep. Let's my, see here. What my, other cards? My suggestion are... though would be swapping it out for hypnotic specter. I think it's the right one. No, it's uh, a hypnotic sadistic. I actually kind of like the mind splash. But one of the other things in this deck that I think is actually interesting is that he has the Mimic Bat in here. Ooh. And the tokens from the Mimic Bat show up, and they die at the end of turn anyway. So as long as she's there, he's guaranteed to just keep accumulating counters. Well, you can sacrifice the token, but the Mimic Bat's going to exile the token that it makes. But if you're putting something like a Brood Monitor under it, then you just keep pumping out Eldrazi that ramp you and make the experience counters go out the wazoo. And let's see, technology lands that aren't really lands. Time to go look at non-basic lands. Now, does this mean man lands and stuff, like Treetop Village? Maze of Eth. Huh. Island of Walk Walk, that sort of thing. Safe Haven, that's one of my favorites. Diamond Eye Valley. <laughs> Diamond Valley. I know someone who owns one. It's really pretty. He also has a tabernacle. Oh, dear God. He plays lands in Legacy. Well, it's not clues. It's not someone that I know of has an internet presence. Let's see. So let's see. They have to be basic lands that do non-basic lands that don't. I'm work. just gonna search for land. Let's see. A lot of these make. Oh yeah. Um. The the legendary banding cycle. That's right. I was actually looking forward to playing this. I was like, oh wait, those things don't get added till out till uh, legends, and even then, they're not on Moto. Which I finally got the chance to use banning last night when I was doing the bonus episode for Patreon. And it's super easy. You just block, and then Moto lets you assign the damage. Hmm. Arena. Fight land. Yeah, fight land. Uh, let's see. There are 551 lands in this game. Yep. Most of them produce mana. Most of them. Bizarre Baghdad. Oh, that card is insane. Blasted landscape, the original wastes. Although, because I was doing the Arabian Nights edition of the Apple Dead, I've been having Aladdin on the brain all week. 
right. So what about Arena? Yeah. Arena is definitely one. Yep. So you probably mentioned basically that. So that's desert is it's also uh, safe haven. Safe haven. Let's see, wasn't it there like a city of traders or something like that? Um, city of shadows. I think. City of shadows. Uh, it produces mana though. Okay, yeah. It might have been City of Shadows, I was thinking of, but no, also not. Cathedral Sarah. I would play Cathedral Sarah. I want Cathedral Sarah. It's only $1.38. I'm ordering Cathedral Sarah next time I get a chance. Dark Depths. What about Bajooka Ball? Would Bajooka Ball count? It taps for mana. Uh, Oh, so we're looking for lands that don't tap for mana. Yes, we're looking for lands that don't tap for mana, and therefore you would actually use them as like a spell slot. Gotcha. Yeah. Now I have a better understanding of what you guys are going for. There you go. Wow, Dark Depths. Valley. Dark Depths really doesn't do, do mana. Dark Depths. Dark Depths. I'm going to go away. Elephant but. Graveyard. Tap for a colorless or tap to regenerate target elephant. Works great with this one, Ultimus. <laughs> Let's see. I'm going to start. I'm guessing we're not including fetch lands in this. No. Uh, Iabugan. Iavugan, that's a newer one that works. Stuff that is in the spotlight in modern right now. If, the, if that Eldrazi deck keeps going as strong as it was, Iavugan's going to see the Baron Hammer. I I think most of it is just no one at the Pro Tour was prepared for it, because a very uh, specific group of people brought it in. Well, see, that's why oh, I Glacial said, Castle. Well, let's see, that's why I said if it continues going strong. Like, after, yeah. even at, if the metagame shifts to try and accommodate it, that's still a turn, potential turn one drop two or three free two twos. Yeah. And what was the last land you mentioned, Clay? Uh, Glacial, Glacial Chasm. Chasm. Yeah, Glacial Chasm. That's a good one. It goes great in the Titania deck. <laughs> yada, yada, yada. Just scrolling through all of these. Halls of Mist. Land. Cumulative upkeep one. What? Creatures that attacked during their controller's last turn can't attack. So it basically slows down Voltron strategies. Ooh, you could do really cute things with this in Crucible of Worlds to basically lock your opponent's creatures out of attacking. That's cute. Halls of Mist. Halls of Mist. Um, yada, yada, yada. Ice Flow. Ice Flow. Ice Flow? Ice Flow. You may choose not to untap Ice Flow during your untap step. Tap. Tap target creature without flying that's attacking you. It doesn't untap during its controller's untap step for as long as Ice Flow remains tapped. <laughs> Cute. So many. If I do, like, a pre-8 through a Commander 95 or something, I'd probably play Ice Flow, because it's funny. The Bandlands. That's what we're calling them. The Banding Lands? Bandlands? Bandlands. Island of Walk Walk. Yeah! Tap. Target creature with flying has base power zero until end of turn. Combine with flying carpet for maximum results. Ooh, yeah. Which I'm uh, at, I was actually close to doing that this week, actually. Huh. Goddamn the tabernacle. Tabernacle is wonderful. No, it's not. Card is insane. It is. Apparently, Magus of the Tabernacle is really good against Eldrazi in modern. I can see it, because they're not making enough mana to keep them out. Yeah. Maze of Earth. Almost Maze of Shadows, but it taps for a colorless. So no. Mm, what else do we have? Let's see. Sorrow's Path. Sorrow's Path. 
Choose two target blocking creatures and opponent controls. Each, each of those creatures could block all creatures that the other is blocking. Remove both of them from combat. Each one of them blocks all creatures the other was blocking. Whenever the Sora's path becomes tapped, it deals two damage to you and each creature you control. I will talk about Sora's path. I will put Sora's path on next to your name. Because the one article I wrote for the website was about Sora's path. Sora's path. Let's see. Oasis. Oasis. Prevent the next one damage that would be dealt to target creature this turn by tapping it. Oh, you got that. That was that was a really nice too. I remember because I just added it to the deck because <laughs> I wanted to see just how big a difference one point of damage could be. Mm. Man, why did they start making sure that all lands could tap for mana? There's some really flavorful ones that don't. And we're not doing fetch lands, right? So I can't use like Rocky Pat. Yeah. <clears throat> I mean, not not Rocky Pad, like Rocky Tar Pit. Yeah. Yeah, just like Sex and Searches the Swamp. There's the or safe like haven. Oh, can you link us to the notes? Oh, right. I'm actually adding all these under to uh, all of our yeah. names. Just because I want to make sure we have stuff. There you go. Cool. So I've actually just got a bunch of lands listed under that section. <laughs> so even if you can't think of any, Calvin, there are plenty for you to, that you can talk about if you have a desire to talk about them. Yeah, because we could probably hit all of these. <laughs> We could, but we're not going to, probably for time's yeah. sake. But we will have them there for reference if people want to see them. Yeah. Because I'm on the R's right now, and I was going backwards. I'm up, I'm down to S. Okay, then we've officially started overlapping, and we are good to go. Yeah. I think we've gotten all of them at this point. Excellent. Lands that don't tap for mana. All right. Let's see. Need to mute my conversation real quick with the Columbus Casuals. Columbus Casuals. It's what I'm calling the Weiss group in my area. Ah. Like, apparently, we were just called the Columbus crew whenever other people were talking about us, but we have a pro soccer team with that name, so I get kind of confused. And since I won a casual tournament that we went out to Danville to play last weekend, I'm like, well, the only tournaments we seem to win are casual tournaments, so let's just call ourselves the Columbus Casuals. I think it's time to take off. Seems legit. All right, then. I think that's everything then. So today, we'll, so th- today in community, we'll be talking about our first sets. Oh man, let's but, go back to Kamigawa. Like not us, <laughs> like not necessarily the first time we started playing Magic, but our first real block set. Oh, uh, then probably Time Spiral. Then we remember experiencing. Either way, Ooh. I will make sure to mention the homeland of Kamigawa. And then strategy, we'll be talking about you know Durly to the point where it becomes grindy. Like at what point does Durly become grindy? Inspired by some Super Friends matches I've been having lately. Okay, and then technology is the lands that aren't lands. Okay, you guys ready? So a future site is Onslaught, right? Uh, I think it is. What now? Yeah, future, uh, yeah, future, future site, site was Onslaught. Future site was Onslaught. Future site okay. was Onslaught. God, so why? Why did they name Time Spiral Block after old cards? Because they wanted it to be an homage to older cards. Was well, so, that so confusing? You know, Time Spiral, and Planar Chaos, and Future Sight. They they were all really thematic names, too. It just fit too perfectly. And we can talk about that when we talk about when I first actually really started playing Magic, which was Time Spiral. Alright, let's go ahead and get this going. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, Ashley put one of those, you know, really, those foot-long <laughs> things in my stocking for Christmas. Like, I took a picture of it next to my DS. It's locked... It's like a the length of my DS and a half. Huh. So I've just stuck it in my freezer when I got home, and I keep saying that someday I'm going to use it to, to rob a bank because it's so hard. 
<laughs> so what I'm going to do is I'm going to, like, bleep out him saying, and just let the listeners try to figure out what he's talking about. <laughs> I mean, it's legitimate. Yeah, she, got a, she got me a foot long. <clears throat> for, I mean, things like the size of my DS. <laughs> no, it's actually longer than my DS. I have a photo of it on my camera that I sh- I'll, and oh, 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 we don't, we don't out of context. Any pictures? Nope, we are gone. Uh, nope. <laughs> Moving on to the next picture. We we got we got the incriminating quote of the night. I'm saving it for a special occasion. I just don't know what that occasion is going to be yet. Valentine's Day. Let's see. So did you do? So what are our options for a guest then? Oh, let's what? see. Oh, that's right. I have the little black book. Let me check that real quick. A little black book. Racist ass bastard. What? The Little Black Book is a well-known thing, sir. So let's see. I guess host booklets. What do we have? So is slavery. Slavery is also a well-known thing, William. Does it make it positive? I will say, though, I was pleasantly surprised to find Helm of Chatsuk in my ball. Helm of Chatsuk. It's going to be so awesome in Avacyn. It's such, it's such a little investment. It's just a one-cost artifact, and it's one in a tap, but so good. Bandit is actually just overpowered Bandit. as a mechanic. Like, get just just one Vanalish hero. Just one Vanalish hero, and you'd be surprised how much that messes up combat. <laughs> uh, memes. Let's see. Donald Trump memes. Cats. Cats. Sports ball. You're so good at cats. More Magical Girls. You know it's here. I just saw it a little bit ago. Deadpools. Deadpools. The pools are dead. Okay, I know I'm getting close because I just saw that motivational speech before when I saw it. So, scrolling, scrolling, scrolling. Let's see. There's a ratatat that someone drew on a cafe door. <laughs> then we have a drunk man who got indicted because he was drunk and then he blamed it on beer-battered fish. Oh, um, did you see the uh, the news article about a guy in Florida who threw an alligator into a Wendy's? What? Um, he went through the drive-thru and then threw, like, a three-and-a-half-foot alligator into the drive-thru I... after getting his food. Why? I don't know. He's been arrested for illegal possession of an alligator. I... Um, ah, I found it. So, Deadpool interview. Describe your perfect chimichanga. Hot, thick, nine inches long, firm, moist on the inside, easy to grip, and less than nine dollars. Next question. That sounds accurate. That does sound accurate. The, the whole interview thing is just, I am looking forward to seeing this movie. It's so good. <laughs> and then I might get his point, but that's okay. Alright, so I think Calvin's probably still talking to his, his sister-in-law. Yeah. Yeah. What was that? Uh, we were just... uh dangling while we're waiting for you to get back.